Is it really true that human beings can help constitute the family of God? Hello and welcome to The Good Word. I am David Thomas, your convener. This quarter, the lessons are all about managing for the master until he comes. Uh, If you happen to have just uh, stumbled across Good Word, you might like to know that uh, this is a verbal commentary on an official document called a Sabbath School Quarterly. If you've never seen one, if you Google those two words, Sabbath School, you will find multiple links to that. And it's called a quarterly because every quarter of the year there's a new one. And this year, it's all this quarter, it's all about money, Christians and money. And uh, I'm happy to have two able uh, conversation partners, Dr. Bruce Taves from the School of Business at Walla Walla University and Brent Berglund, who is an associate professor of New Testament, who has a fascination with the book of Revelation, for which I'm happy. So, gentlemen, thank you for joining me. I want to begin by by raising what I think is a foundational question um, that, that seems to me to be a key idea that undergirds all Christian behavior when it comes to assets and money in particular, and that is, what's the difference between being a manager and being a an owner? And what happens if you get those roles mixed up? And Bruce, I'd be particularly interested in hearing your opinion about, or your, your, your comments about, what happens if a manager forgets that they're a manager and tries to act like an owner? <laughs> so... Well, I know in the in the real estate world, um, estate means a bundle of rights, and along with that comes the rights of possession, where you can occupy, use it as you see fit, the rights of control, where you can alter or um, rent it out or change the use, the right of disposition, the right to sell, the right to refuse to sell, the right to gift. Mm. All of those um, are clearly uh, inherent rights of an owner. And uh, a manager, on the other hand, might um, be hired to manage the property, but they have none of those rights. Mm. So none of them. In other words, they would have to ask the owner permission to, for example, modify the building or so forth. Yeah. So, Brent, any thoughts on it? Well, I know we'll probably talk more about this this quarter, but the commandments obviously speak about you shall not steal. And so there is such a concept as ownership in Scripture that's found throughout the Bible. God seems to protect ownership, but the one who manages certainly doesn't have full rights. The one who manages is given, I mean, in today's language, we might say a manager may have some power of attorney over some of those things, but not complete control. I I couldn't give away something that belonged to you I, I have no rights over it, even if you've asked me to, you've entrusted me with your home while you're gone on vacation. I can't sell it while you're gone. It reminds me, I was on a board once where uh, a, a school board made a, a decision that obligated a governing body uh, in regards to a piece of property, and the school board had no right to make that, make that decision, so it created some complications later on. But I'm also thinking in terms of, of Christian stewardship, it seems to me that as Christians, we do well with our assets if we realize that, that they really belong to God and that we are managers of those things. I think it creates a very different attitude to whatever possessions. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about time, influence, all those kind of things. That uh, if we realize that in the beginning God created things and that he is the one who gives us power to, to earn wealth, we will approach the use and the acquisition of money in very different ways than if we think we're owners. So, If we have to give an account for what we've done to the owner, we may be far more likely to treat the 
things with which we've been trusted with care. Yeah. Yeah, there are a number of parables where the, the manager acted like the owner and got into a pile of trouble. So, yeah, yeah I, I, um, in, in business law, of course, they, they call it agency law, where you hire an agent to manage your resources. Um, but I wonder how it would affect our attitude if we, if we said, you know, this is not, this is not my car, it's, it's God's car, and um, uh, I'm going to use it for his purposes, or it's God's house, or it's God's money. I think it would give new meaning to all the temporal stuff that we have if we just recognize his ownership. And you, hmm. do, you, do you think it would tone down the, the great desire humans seem to have to acquire possessions more and more and more? I mean, sometimes it seems like we think that the person who has the most in the end wins. But there's no luggage rack on a hearse, or have you ever seen a hearse <laughs> hauling a U-Haul? <laughs> the Bible is clear. I brought nothing into this world, and I'm certainly taking nothing out. So everything we have, God um, loans to us, and uh, someday he'll perform an accounting and my fervent wish is that I don't abuse that, that privilege. That's well said. That's well said. Well done. Good and faithful servant is what I want to hear. Yeah, yeah. So let me switch a little bit because there's another piece to this is that um, one of the first points made by the lesson this quarter is that we, those of us who believe, should picture ourselves as being part of the family of God. Um, the family of God. That, that's actually, a, if you come from a good family, that's a beautiful metaphor. I suppose if you come from a very um, um, mixed-up family, it's a little bit more difficult. But I think all of us have an ideal picture of a family. Um, I mean, there's a text here. I used it as a foundational text. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. And uh, as I was looking through this, uh, there's, there's all kinds of familiar language. And, Brent, maybe you, you know some of that since you're a New Testament scholar in particular. Like our Heavenly Father— it's familiar language, right? Is there others? Are there others? Some of the strongest language of the New Testament is the language of adoption. Um, and it's that I'm not a natural child of God. I must be reborn into his family. But when I do, when he adopts me into his family, I get full rights as a son, legal rights as a son. I Christ took my place so that I might take his to, as Revelation says, Jesus says to the one who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. As much as God and his son are royalty, I inherit the right to sit with them. Mm. That's very strong language. Yeah, so that is familiar language adoption. Yeah. Um, what about Jesus as a, a, an elder brother? That's language too, isn't it? it that's not as, uh, not as frequent, but Paul no, does but make does reference exist, to that. Right? Yeah, there is there is family language. I, the, the fact that Jesus was, would call God Father and then that we see Father language all through the New Testament changed the way Israel thought about God to a place where it was far more intimate. In fact, Paul even will go so far as to call God Abba, which is daddy, right? It's Av is the word for father. Ava is, is – So that's the, a familial, familial word for, term. For, yeah. yeah. And then the idea of people who are believers calling them brother and sister, and that, I think that's a custom that's kind of faded of late, but you, especially when you talk to older people, they talk about brother and sister, which is part of that. Um, so how does that affect the way we, we handle assets? Any thoughts on that, if we are well, part of a family? Well, in a family, we share resources. Um, parents take care and provide for their children, and Sometimes when the parents get old, it reverses the role. Uh, and in the family of God, we share one another burdens. 
we follow what I refer to as the river principle, which states that our lives should be like a river, not a reservoir, and that God gives us resources that flow through us. Now explain it. Oh, explain it a little more. I like that. Our life should be a river more than a reservoir. Yes, so we're we're a conduit for God's blessing to others. Okay. Uh and, and including the family of God. whereas a reservoir is a static entity, it just it just sits there, whereas a river actually flows and Yes. Hmm, I have to remember that. And so as a family of God we, we look after each other and we allow God's spirit and his resources to flow through us to bless others. Yeah. You know, I was traveling yesterday, and I was reading. I was flying in an airplane, which is not my favorite thing to do. But I was reading a wonderful little book I bought at a used book sale years ago, and it sat in my office for about 10 years before I finally said, I'm going to read this book. And it, it it's uh, the last section of it is a brief description of Christianity, and it's one of the best that I have ever read. And this man points out that... Um, if you've ever belonged to a Christian community, a genuine one, you understand that people of all kinds of uh, ethnicities, viewpoints, uh, economic, socioeconomic standings, they can live together happily and purposefully. He says, if you belong to a Christian church, you know that's true. And I think it's, it, it proves the, the truthfulness of, of all of this, yeah. And I, I don't think we should only limit our discussion to, to money. I, I liked um, what you said, Bruce, that uh, whatever our resources are, they should not just be used for ourselves but to benefit people around us. And probably not only people in our believing community. We'll talk in another week or two about um, how um, we have obligations to people in need, which is interesting. So, Any other comments from you, you gentlemen? When when we think about the management then of goods and, and Bruce, what you were saying about us being a river, it does put the idea of wealth into a different context. I now think of wealth instead of it being – instead of wealth being something either to be lusted for or to completely eschew, I can see wealth as opportunity that if God chooses to bless me with something, I can then use it even – and I don't need to be ashamed if he has somehow put – he hasn't, but if he had put a lot of money into my into my hands or or uh, amazing skills, which I don't possess amazing skills, I'm fairly average. But whatever I have, then I don't need to stress that. Oh well, I've done this wrongly. If I have accumulated wealth, sometimes I hear Christians talk about that because of some of Jesus' statements on on wealth and how hard it is to get into the kingdom if you're wealthy. But the same God said in in Deuteronomy, "I am the Lord your God who gave you the ability to make wealth. I I will." make your baskets overflow. And I don't need to be scared of that as long as I recognize that it can be used as a blessing. Yeah, and that, that you know, that, that when you talk that way, Brent, I always think of the parable of the foolish farmer who, who uh, had a great abundance and he tore down his barns and built new ones and said what? <laughs> I'm going to take my ease because I got enough to... And what he didn't realize is that uh, he never accounted for the fact that uh, it doesn't secure life. Yeah. And I remember reading a commentary about that in which it said that God had placed in that man's hands the ability to care for many other people who are not as fortunate as he was. Anyway, um, I think one more piece of, of, uh, of the family thing is, is the idea of, of living according to the, 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 the ideals or the rules of a family and not just being outside of them. And, of course, in the Christian community, we would talk about the Ten Commandments, which is a very interesting one. Because in Hebrew, they're not commandments. They're descriptions of 
how life will be. Um, any thoughts on that? The commandments offer hope that that will be the new reality. They're not couched in the language of imperatives. They're given as, if you love the Lord your God, then you will do these things. That's a very hopeful sort of And see, it, it, in my mind, it raises a difference between constraint and restraint. And I know if you read in the dictionary, there's not a much big difference. But I've always thought that restraint is something that's applied from the outside. You are required to do this. Whereas constraint is something that swells up from a willingness. I, and I like what Paul says, I am constrained, uh, not restrained. And so I think when you're part of a family, you, you are constrained by the, the, the well-being and the, the ideals and the hopes and dreams of a family. And I think that as Christians, we ought to think about ourselves as being constrained, as being willingly compliant to the God who made us and who gave us the ability to, to do things. Well, gentlemen, thank you. Um, I appreciate your comments here today as we come to an end. Um, thinking about how we as Christians should conduct ourselves in light of the things God has given us. So thank you for listening. For The Good Word, I'm Dave Thomas. You've been listening to Good Word, a production of the School of Theology at Walla Walla University and KGTS-FM. To order a copy of today's broadcast, you can call 509-527-2194. Thanks for listening, and we'll be here next week at this time with Good Word.